the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network and X-Zone Broadcast Network. Visit our website at www.xzoneradiotv.com. The X-Zone Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All-Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talk Star Radio Network, Star Cable, and the Exxon Broadcast Network, plus our growing family of worldwide affiliates. That's right, right across Canada, the United States, Central America, the Caribbean, South America, the Pacific Rim, Australia, Asia, India, Africa, and Europe. If you'd like to give us a call toll-free worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. My email address is xzoneradio 
Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's the, that's MSN Messenger. That, my email address is xown at xownradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xownradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xownradiotv.com. My guest this hour is Dr. Joyce Pugh. And uh, Dr. Pugh has written three books, um, which are entitled Antichrist, The Cloned Image of Jesus Christ, which was published in December 1999, Colors of Joy, published in August of 1975, Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil, 666, which was published in December of 2006, and Audio Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil, 666, that was updated in January 2009. We're going to be talking to the good doctor today about a number of, uh, of topics. We're going to be talking about the Holy Grail. We're going to be talking about cloning. We're going to be talking about Tesla technology and much more. Dr. Joy Pugh is my special guest. Her website is www.drjoye.com. Dr. Joy, welcome to the Exome. Oh, I'm looking so forward to being your guest today, Rob. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Doctor, and how you, how you, where the interest came for the, the fascinating topics that you write about. Well, I think as a young person, I began uh, having information that I felt was being given to me at mm-hmm. church uh, in regard to a little dream that I had had when I was six years old. It did not seem to add up to what I thought I had seen uh, as far as the end of time. And so I began a really long life journey of trying to find pieces to the puzzle and answer questions that I felt were really answerable, but no one had really looked for them. So my span of trying for the probably the last 40 years has been to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And so my book, Eden, the Knowledge of Good and Evil, is actually a seven-year uh, night and day work for actually myself my that goodness. I've been able to uh, have published by a publisher and now offer it to those who are also interested in these same questions that probably a lot of people could not answer for them and left them probably scratching their head much like it did me as I was mm-hmm. growing up through, through my lifetime. Dr. Joy, what was the pivotal event in your career as an author? Well, I think being able to um, find answers to a lot of the questions Mm -hmm. that I had had and then having someone be willing to publish this for me was probably pivotal in the fact that I never dreamed when I was looking for these answers that I would ever have the opportunity to share them with enormous amounts of people really from all around the world. And I have had the opportunity to to do this now through the World Wide Web Mm -hmm. because I have, you know, emails and talk shows that I do and things like that. So I think that's been pivotal is that I've been able to share this research with a huge growing number, you know, as far as an audience uh, who have had these questions and could not have them answered. And so I feel like that I'm able to maybe provide some of those answers to some of those really tough questions about why we're here, what what was the reason we were designed mm-hmm. by God, and what are the days that we're living in as far as prophecy and, um, and, and science tell us are going to happen as we move closer to 2012 and 2019, according to my All right, stand, stand by, Dr. Joy. You and I have to take a two-minute commercial break. Exonation, Nation, Dr. Joy Pugh is our special guest, www.drjoye.com. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away.
There's a blast from the past, the grassroots and temptation eyes. My guest this hour is Dr. Joy Pugh. Her website is drjoye.com. I have to ask you a question right off the top, Dr. Joy. Is the Holy Shroud of Turin the Holy Grail? (laughs) Well, my research really does prove that. In fact, you know, really the greatest evidence for bodily resurrection and life after death is actually the Holy Shroud of Turin. So it's been the most researched relic of uh, really of all history. And in looking at that particular piece of cloth, you know, you can go back and pull up in the Bible, in the book of John, it specifically says that after the crucifixion of Jesus, that he was actually put in a linen burial cloth and laid in the tomb. And that when the disciples all came to really the, to see, well, I guess, why, the, why his body was not there, mm-hmm. when Mary Magdalene came back to tell them that he had gone or whatever, they found these particular linen cloths there in the tomb. And, of course, the shroud is actually under the jurisdiction of the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church, and it's being housed right now in the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist in Turin, Italy. In fact, of May of this year, it's going to be on display for those who want to travel there to Turin to see it. If, um, In fact, even the History Channel has just recently done a documentary in showing that the shroud is actually 14 feet long, and it appears that there is a form of energy that produced this burst of kind of a radiation that went through the cloth that apparently left a perfect image of a crucified Christ as we know it, as know from you know the uh, mm-hmm. book of, um, of John in regard to him being resurrected from the dead. And it appears that the wounds on the body of this cloth also have a correlation to what would be going on if a person, let's say, had been crucified. That means that... This uh, image shows whippings, it shows the crown of thorns, mm-hmm. it shows no prints, it's, it actually shows the wound from a spear that went into Jesus' side, and that the wounds themselves were very much of inflicted injuries. In other words, there was a lot of blood that was left there, and, uh, and it covers really a, a major portion of the shroud. And when I was doing the research in my first book on Antichrist, I found out that they had actually gone in and done some scientific work back in 1968 and found that there was DNA there and that it was tested and it belonged to a male, as well as there were duplicate pairs of that DNA strand that were isolated from the blood, and apparently there was some cloning that took place. It was kind of a secret situation, but something had actually been taken from that cloth and been analyzed. And then they uh, took a NASA VP8 image analyzer, and it showed that this particular image on this cloth could not be painted because it was actually a three-dimensional body mm-hmm. that appeared to move in the cloth, like, like you know, like said, like an X-ray would do. And I found that quite interesting because the fact of the matter is that over the course of history, we've always thought that that particular piece of cloth was not maybe a, a true relic and of course people have always said well it was fake it was painted it was this it was that but i have always contended from the research that i had done that the cloth itself was in fact the real uh, burial cloth of jesus and that something magnificent had happened and being able to correlate that is the fact that there was a face napkin that was put on jesus's face at the time of his crucifixion and that face napkin is now housed in Oviedo, spain it has been there oh for right after the first actually 
like 500 AD, it was already in Ovita, Spain. And if you take and take the face napkin and you place it over this area of the shroud where Jesus' face would have been, that face imprint of the shroud is exactly has the same location of the facial blood spots that are on the face napkin and the shroud. So when I had done this research and found that the DNA, the identical blood, the face, the fact that the blood spots were the same, it kind of correlated that if somebody had been able to take a picture or paint, they would have had to been able to have done that like 500 AD, which I don't think that there was anything that was capable of producing something of that, um, mm-hmm. mag- you know, that magnificence capability. In fact, I don't think that anybody today can actually produce what has been on the on the you know on this route. There's been many who have tried, but it just either is distorted or something's really strange about it. But when I started doing the history, Rob, about this route of Turin, I found out that it had actually moved uh, through time and was actually first known as a cloth of the desert, and it was actually hid in the walls of the desert to protect it. Uh, and and and. Fortunately, according to history, the Order of the Knights Templar were the ones who came searching for that particular cloth and that they found it, took it for the ultimate reason, according to what I've been able to uncover, was the fact that they wanted to regenerate the divine spark of Jesus by replicating his holy blood using a sacred science that they knew all about that was called alchemy. And so the shroud, I think, became the Holy Grail because it was a guarded secret that had been passed down really through time, wanting to make that shroud live again. And, of course, we know just uh, from Vatican information that the last night Templar, Sir Geoffrey Chonery, actually upon his death, gave the uh, shroud to King Umberto II of Italy. And, of course, then in 1983, Umberto was dying, he bequeathed it to the late John Paul II um, and actually gave a decree of ownership to the Vatican. And so that's why the Vatican actually owns that piece of cloth today. But the fact that the Holy Grail legend is centered on a myth that actually stems from the Crusades that a vessel was supposedly carry the, the blood of Jesus. And so many times we have seen that uh, depicted in historical record as a Grail cup. But I, after doing so much research on the Holy Shroud, there is so much blood on that, that mm-hmm. cloth that if you fold it up and you were to hold it, it would be like you were holding you know, the blood of Jesus in a, in a cup. So to me, I think their ultimate uh, quest was to use their wisdom, which of course they call Sophia, and that they were wanting to uh, initiate their people to understand that there was a plan to really raise Jesus from a child into a man again. And some of the esoteric uh, teachings, like the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, kind of go along with that because they were, tem- you know, the Templar were actually known as the guardians of the Holy Grail and the owners of the blood of Jesus. Well, wait, a, wait a second here, Doctor. That puts a whole new spin on to something else that, that popped in my mind as you were talking. Is it possible that this is what they are referring to as the second coming of Christ, his rebirth through cloning? Oh, yes. And I think that that's why this is so important in my work has really shown that it to be true. It's something that, you know, a lot of people, when I first started talking about the terms of cloning a man, and I was speaking of this way back in the, you know, 1990s when people were like, not even, I guess they thought it was science fiction, and I'm saying this is a possibility because I had uncovered some research that had been done in the underground bases of Hitler's uh, regime with his scientists, Mm -hmm. and um, and it was becoming very perfected. And and then when I did the research on the cloning, I realized that being able to clone is not hard at all. It can be done in a high school laboratory. So that put a real emphasis that there was 
saw, you know, the possibility that these crusaders, they did not really want the world to know that they had stolen really the Holy Shroud for the purpose of one, one day regenerating Jesus' divine blood, but they wanted to do it through a noble and royal bloodline. And um, it, I found it interesting that the Shroud, you know, of course, that came from actually Joseph of Arimathea, and we know that he wrapped Jesus in this burial cloth, but the thing that really stood out to me was that I later found out that the descendants of Joseph of Arimathea were actually, according to Masonic history, that they went on to found the priestly House of Wales. And, of course, we know the House of Wales there in Britain declares to be descended from the lineage of Mary Magdalene and, and Jesus. So there was a real connection as to bringing why why was that brought through history and why does it end up where it's at and uh, and and the correlation between royal bloodlines and Templars, but there is a, a major major correlation between all of that. Is it possible then? Let's say that the that Christ is cloned. Maybe they've already done it. Is it possible that? the cloned version of Christ will be mistaken as the Antichrist? It would be very easy to do that, because we know from the science of cloning mm-hmm. that the, the product is an exact replica right. of, the, of, of whoever the cell is taken from. For example, if we were to take a, a skin cell from you, Rob, mm-hmm. and we were to place that skin cell in an egg that had been actually, you take a woman's egg and you clean all the DNA, everything out of it, and you just punch her in your cell, and then you just place that cell into a woman and uh, as an egg, and then after nine months when she delivers, there will not be any um, DNA that would come from her egg. It would be a total new rob. And the thing about it is you would not be able to tell the difference between you and the twin. In other words, it's, it's a little even better than a twin because in some cases the twin has a difference in sometimes the iris patterns, but in this case, it's an identical replica of you. All right, so let's just take this one step further. Let's say in the near future, not, you know, let's say in the next five, ten years, this person comes up who has charisma, who has knowledge, who has the ability to bring total peace, as talked about in the Bible. Is this a biblical prophecy coming true, and is it possible that people would mistake this person who is doing so good as the Antichrist based on the hype that society has put on the Antichrist instead of keeping the possibility open that the Antichrist is really the second coming of Christ? Well, the thing that always stood out to me was in Thessalonians where it said that uh, this Antichrist would claim himself to be God, mm-hmm. standing in the temple of God. So there we are. And the one thing that always stood out to me was that Jesus made the comment mm-hmm. to the Pharisees about raising the temple, and they thought he meant that building a building. That's right. And, and they said, how could he do that in three days? He was talking about his body. And so I find that the word temple in that Thessalonians uh, remark could very well mean the temple of God, which would be Jesus' body as the temple. And through cloning, and what I've been able to uncover uncover with what I have uh, researched, is that a clone would not have a theoretical uh, soul, because the Bible says that once you die, the soul that you know you don't you don't come back and relive mm-hmm. again and again in in the body situation, so the soul has to go through a different process. And since the soul left, which we know was resurrected and walked away from this image, 
then then that particular being still exists. But if you take and you clone that, then that leaves a vehicle without a soul. And according to the Talmud, you can go back and see that there were beasts of the field that did not have souls, but yet they were in uh, male and female-looking bodies. Stand by, Dr. Pugh. You and I have got to take a commercial break. I've tried to keep it as long as I could, but we've run out of time. Dr. Joy Pugh is our special guest. What an interesting lady. Her website is www.drjoye.com. I'll be back with a good doctor on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, and Star Cable. Don't go away. My name is Michael Telstar, Canada's leading mentalist from Toronto, Ontario. Hi, my name is Splenza, and you're listening to my dad, Ron McConnell, on the Exxon. This is Psychic Dorothy from St. Catharines, and you're listening to Rob McConnell. Hello, my name is Holly Reeves, an astrologer from astro for You, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Joy Pugh is our very special guest this hour. Her website is www.drjoye.com, and the name of her book is Antichrist, the Cloned Image of Jesus Christ. You know what? Cloning was first talked about in the Bible in the book of Genesis when God took a rib from Adam and made Eve. Isn't that cloning? Well, you know, there's been a lot of question about what really took place in that mm-hmm. situation. If we had used, if they, in other words, if he had used the direct um, cell and had done it the way that I had just mentioned earlier, right. it would have produced another atom specifically. So if if we look at that and we look at the science of the nature that we're doing now, there's no way that that could have been a cloning aspect, almost as if he took certain things mm-hmm. that were there and left out certain. Of course, men be- <laughs> believe that the women got the worst of the deal and they got the best, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know which way to take it, but it had to be a little bit different than just the cloning aspect, or it would have been a, a duplicate uh, process oh, of, of right, so let, Adam. Let me, let me suggest this hypothesis that the first experimentation of create the second one because Lilith was the first creation then you had Eve um, could this have been a a scientist who may have or may not come from this planet who was conducting experimentation here on this planet of genetic engineering or even you know early types of clones and 
he goofed and made a mistake, and thus you have Eve. <laughs> well, some men may feel that that's really what happened. I don't, I don't, I, you know, I can laugh about it, but no, I really don't think mm. that was the case. Although I do believe in doing research into yeah. Genesis that your first uh, part of chapter one there, where it mentions male and female, that those were actually a different uh, breed than what the Genesis two account is and the fact that they were not named Adam or that there was a name of Eve. And I think probably prior to that was probably some of the uh, mythological things in regard to Lilith and those kinds of things yeah. have come out of the generations, because it specifically says these are the generations of the earth. And I think that's one thing in chapter 2 there in Genesis that a lot of people miss. But the fact that uh, Adam was created and given a breath of life and then Eve that there was something uniquely different about them, and I believe it was the breath of life and that being the living soul, much different than an animal that would not have a, a living breath or a living soul. But how do we know and that? Think, how do we know, Doctor, and, and no, no disrespect meant here, how do we know that animals don't have living souls? Well, that is something that we really do not know. There, there's no way for us not to know, you know, in regard what their um, process really is. Aren't human beings animals? Well, I believe that, like I say, in Genesis 1, where it mentions about the male mm -hmm. and female, I think that was a little bit different process than right. what we are as far as a living spiritual being. And knowing that we have the capability of freedom of, um, of choice, uh, and knowing good and evil, there seems to separate us from the animal kingdom in one specific thing, and that is marriage. And I found that that was quite strange in the end of Genesis chapter 2, that God actually married uh, Adam and Eve. This did not happen in chapter 1 in regard to the male and female that he told to just go and to replenish the mm -hmm. earth, and I find the word replenish interesting there, because if there was something prior to that, why were they, re you know, it would have been go and just, you know, have children or whatever, but not replenish. The word replenish sounds like something had to have happened prior to, and that they were coming back and replenishing, no different than what he told Noah and his family to replenish. But the fact that he married Adam and Eve tells me there was something very sanctified or very different about this situation because in an animal population we know that the animals will typically go with this one or that one or whatever and not be maybe true to but wait like a second a here but wait a second male here. or female being a married situation doctor if we're talking about uh, the uh, let's use a hypothetical situation where a pup when it grows up will have sex with his mother and the mother dog will have puppies right that's right. Okay, so didn't Cain or Abel do that with Eve in order to replenish the earth? Well, I feel like, again, that there was, again, I believe, male and female that were created in chapter 1 that's different than chapter 2. And I think that this is probably where Cain, when he mm -hmm. went off, and that he was able to build a city and, and do what he was able to do, that there was probably a significant reason why those other beings had existed we know from archaeological record that there were things like Neanderthals and other types of Homo sapiens that apparently yeah. existed at some of the same time that we as Homo sapiens have existed. So it tells you that there had to be an offshoot. The other thing is is that the DNA of the replica from, let's say, Adam and Eve, with them being created by God, there would have not been any kind of tainted DNA. So that tells you that they could replicate themselves without any tainted or changed DNA. But the problem is we see in Chapter 4 
It's that the sons of God came against the daughters of men, and they produced giants. So be able to get a giant population, there had to be a significant change in the DNA that was initially started. Uh, and that gives you reason to know that there had to be intervention from something other than just Adam and Eve and their children having sex or having children or whatever. But Doctor, don't you think that at times we, human race, put way too much credence in a book that is is just a science fiction book at the very best? Because we cannot substantiate or prove anything except the odd, the odd piece of history here, there, and everywhere that the events in the in the book were actually real. Right. In other words, the, the Bible is telling you real events that really did occur. Is that what you're saying? No, ma'am. I'm saying that oh. the Bible is, for one thing, was not written by God. Genesis was written by Moses. How many years after the events? The people back then in the day when the Bible were, was written, they had no knowledge of science. They had no knowledge of physics. They had no knowledge of chemistry. They, they were shepherds. They were very plain people. And for, I, I believe that in our quest, in our thirst to, to justify our existence and the errors that we have made in our lifetimes, we use the Bible too much as a crutch. And that we don't give our own species, mankind, enough credit. You know, we can look at the Bible, and it's a matter of interpretation. It's a matter of belief. But I, I don't. Uh, yes, I, I, I see. I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't give a hundred percent belief in what the Bible says. Well, I think because I've had the opportunity to look at other works in regard mm-hmm. to the Sumerians and Babylonians and some of the works that have come out of there that we know that have been um, translated from the cuneiform text, it appears that there were uh, similar situations that occurred that actually correlate to, to what the Bible has specifically said to us. And I do think it's quite interesting that sometimes that when people have written books in the Bible, that some of the information was well beyond their capability, and, and one of those people is specifically John of Patmos. I find it very interesting that a man uh, who walked with God as as John the, the Divine, mm-hmm. there and he, who was a disciple, who ends up on Patmos, and he has these visions that we now know were the, the, the book of Revelation. It, it's interesting to me that a man of that, uh, living in that period of time, would have had such revelation of some things that I feel are happening today. But, so doctor, but doctor, you're an author. You're a, you're, you're a well-scholared person. We all know that there are such things as ghostwriters, and people pen their name and take the credit for the writing. How do we know what really happened at the Council of Nicaea, where, 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 it, was, where it was decided what was going in, what chapters were getting edited out? There are too many unknown variables. I agree with you that there are different philosophies, there are different uh, legends, there are different folklores, there are different accounts throughout the different uh, religious philosophies that would validate certain, certain uh, events that happened because that area of the world at that time was very small. Their world, you know, it was the, was the, um, the Middle East. That was their world. The, the writings of the Bible do not encompass North America, South America, 
It doesn't encompass Australia. So their world that they're talking about was a very small area. So that if something did happen in one part of their little world, yes. And if it was a significant enough uh, event, everyone would eventually know about it. So my point is, number one, how do we know that John actually wrote it? Number two, how do we know, based on the lack of of, uh, verifiable information on the rest of the world events, that that this is just not a book of fiction? And why do we? Why do some people put so much faith in it? Well, I think that the the thing about it is so different than what we were talking about earlier about the cloth. If for some reason uh, anything had been deviated or changed from, mm-hmm. let's say, the first group of people who came together under Jesus as disciples and his followers and the teachings that existed there, once um, Peter and 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 Paul they began to go about and talk about what had happened and what they had seen. And, of course, if things had been handed down, if something was different, then somebody would have either said, well, that's not correct, I was there, it would, it, you would, it would be a rebuttal about it. But if the Bible, now, if the Bible when, was edited, when, and, and you know, even, even the King Henry was one of the editors of the Bible, how do we know that these truths didn't surface? And in order to keep the the continuity with the church and beliefs that these truths were not deliberately left out and suppressed. I do think that there is a possibility that in any time that you do translations from like Hebrew and Greek, Mm -hmm. that the translation to the English language can be very, um, not really forthcoming as to the way that it was originally intended. And I I found those issues and have tried to address those issues a lot of times in the research and in the work that I do because it will help explain a lot of times when you're not really sure about what a verse is trying to Mm -hmm. say if you go back and look at what the Hebrew and the Greek translation was. The thing that I find most interesting in in doing this research, especially in the Bible, is to look at the biblical codes and the equidescent letter sequencing that has gone uh, and has been developed throughout the years and throughout history because it was used prior to with people who just did nothing but counting letters. But I find it strange that when you look at that and you see that you can bring up dates and times of people's births and deaths and names, that that chance of correlation would be almost impossible if you were just writing a work, just, say, making it up or trying to... All right, okay, now hold on here. What language was the Bible first written in? Well, you have Hebrew, well, you've got the Hebrew, Mm -hmm. and then, of course, in the New Testament, you have the Greek. Okay, now Christ was born... The story of Christ is in the New Testament, right? That's right. Why wasn't it written in Hebrew? Why was it written in Greek if Christ and the other uh, uh, disciples were there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why was it written in Greek and then translated into Hebrew? Why wasn't it written in Hebrew first and then translated into Greek? Well, so you had the situation where in um, the Old Testament you had uh, what was called the Hebrews and the Israelites that came Mm -hmm. out of Egypt. And when they were captive to the Babylonians, then the true lineage of the Hebrew or the or the Israelite, as we know it, became an all-encompassing term called Jew. And so many people do not understand when you say the word Jew that you're not talking about the Israelites or the Hebrews. You're actually talking about a mixed breed of people. Mm-hmm. And at that particular time, 
of being mixed with the Babylonians. Then your Mosaic law became infiltrated with Babylonian paganisms, and the mixture uh, produced things that are like the um, the Zophar and some of those other kinds of uh, works that were written. And once Jesus came in to being, and he began to preach a little bit different than what the Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and, and the scribes were wanting to hear, uh, it, it was a kind of a deviation. And so at that point, because the only the people who were like Israelites and, and Hebraic, which were the true first Christians, uh, when they started deviating like that, the biggest spread of, I guess, um, literature at the time was in the Greek language, and that's how it was brought about in such greater context is through that. All right, we've got to take, take a commercial break here, Doctor. We've got hello, 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 I've got to take a break. Take a breath. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. Wow. 1-800-610-7035 is toll-free. Right around the world. My email address is xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. The um, April edition of the X Chronicles is coming out tomorrow. If you'd like to get your complimentary copy, send me your email address. I'll send you a link where you can read it or download it online. And then for the Power Gators TV show... All the information, all the updates, all the additions to the cast and the crew is at www.paragators.org. My name's Rob McConnell, and this is the X-Zone. Once again, our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. I'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Dr. Joy Pugh is our special guest, Exonation. I love her uh, her passion for her uh, topic. Her The name of her book is Antichrist, a Cloned Image of Jesus Christ. Her website is www.drjoye.com. Doctor, I have two very simple questions for you. Number one, if these events really happened and Christ was surrounded by apostles who knew he was the Son of God, why did not they not chronicle the events in Hebrew? That's number one. Number two, how do we know the DNA that is on the Shroud of Turin is actually that of Jesus Christ and not someone else who suffered the same type of crucifixion that Christ did? Well, I think that there's probably a lot of uh, things that are out there, in in fact, in regard to what the uh, disciples and apostles were involved Mm -hmm. with. Um, I'd also believe that some of the, um, the books that we found, you know, in Quamram, 
typically would tell us of the Old Testament that how it was kept and how it was rewritten and kept forward and, and, and whatever, you know, throughout history. But at the same time, I feel like that the writings that came down from the apostles themselves and the names and things, the writings appear to have really been during the time period or there after the time period. And like I said earlier, that if they had been written wrong, that someone who had lived during that would have been able to say, well, that's not correct, or they wouldn't have gone along with it. So I typically believe that the the, the writings were as they say they were, and um, and I don't have anything that I feel like I've ever seen sure. that would discredit that for me. All right, and my, sec- regard- my second question is, how do you know, how do we know, or how do you know that the blood that is on the Shroud of Turin is actually that of Jesus Christ and not someone else who may have um, who may have had the same type of crucifixion done on him and this is totally a different person and it's not the uh, it's not the body of Christ well the thing that I found most interested in doing this research and I and I do have uh, the two of the videos on my website mm-hmm. at com in regard to the research and findings of a archaeologist named Ron, Ron Wyatt, who is said to have gotten the blood that was of Jesus from the Ark of the Covenant that he found in one of the um, chambers below where Solomon's temple actually was, which was below the area where Jesus was crucified. And the blood that he brought forward and actually he tested, and you can see those videos there, shows that that blood is not dead, but it's alive. And the other interesting fact was that it doesn't have the same number of chromosomes. And I found that interesting because of the fact that he was born from a woman, but yet uh, there seems to be no father, just like an X chromosome. The interesting thing of all of that is that the blood is alive. And that was one of the things that I think has been kept very, very secret in regard to the Holy Strat of Turin, why it's been kept under wrap and key, and why it's uh, been said that those who have taken anything from that shroud, that the Vatican has tried desperately to get all the samples back and, and, and not be available for testing and, and that kind of thing. So I feel like that because the blood is different, because it has apparently a ability to live, even though in, like our blood would be a dead blood, that blood is alive. Doctor, I want and to like thank I... you so much for joining us. Unfortunately, we've run out of time for tonight. Exonation, if you'd like to find out more information about Dr. Joy, her telephone number, her website is www.drjoye.com. That's drjoye.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, where... Right here on the Talk Star Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, and Star Cable. 